Hello and welcome back to Take 97, a film podcast with me, your host, David Ingram. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed your Christmas and New Year break from us, uh, but hopefully not too much. And you'll be glad to have us back from now on every Friday, every week, up until the foreseeable future, until I take another break again for the next holiday. Uh, But we should be in for a nice long ride for a load of brand new content, brand new episodes Uh, with some new guests, some old guests as well from the previous year. So from last year, some popular guests from last year's episodes should be coming back on to discuss some topics as well. And also I've lined up some pretty special people as well for the brand new episodes as well. Uh, So I look forward to sharing those episodes with you guys, but I won't tell you too much about those. I'll let you find out that for yourselves as you go through this journey. If you remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, you should be able to get a nice little sneak peek of pretty much anything that goes on really and upcoming on the podcast any little sneak peeks of what's to come even though you can't really see this you can hear me but there shall be some special exclusive content for you on the social medias for you right now let's get down to business today's episode following the popular uptake of the episode back way at the beginning of this podcast which was forever young volume one i am going to do what i said i would do and follow it up with forever young volume two uh now obviously the first time i did this this was teen films uh coming of age films uh, from the 21st century a lot of them were ones that i related to and i've seen and grown up with myself in so a post 2000 world uh but these ones particularly i have watched them obviously i'm not old enough to have seen them when they originally came out but these are films that I'm going to talk to you about today, or at least some of them anyway, are my recommendations for my top picks for teen films or coming-of-age films that were released in the 20th century. So basically anything pre-2000, pre-year 2000. So I'm not talking about the year 2000 at all for these, uh, as much as I did miss out a couple on my last episode, but to be fair, I was only doing my top picks. These ones, I'm going to be telling you about what I think you should watch in terms of the classics of the coming-of-age teen film drama. Now, the reason why I say coming-of-age a lot, as well as teen film, is because not all of these are strictly stuck within the parameters of a teen film, because some of them are about slightly younger children as well, uh, or people just coming-of-age becoming teenagers. I'll get to that later in one of my picks. Uh, But yeah, like I said for now, remember to comment, like, subscribe, and all the other bits and pieces for our social medias, and for more content exclusive for you. Now, let's get started on the episode. Uh, I am going to start off with, so I've got three main picks for today's episode, and I've got some honourable mentions later on, which I will mention, Uh, but I am going to talk to you about a couple now, in no particular order really, Uh, but I shall start off with the 1988 cult classic, as it's become now, uh, film that is Heathers. Now, Heathers is a very... It's an interesting film because it's a teen coming-of-age drama. Uh, It's got some black comedy in there. It's very dark, but it's also very satirical in a way, very uh, lots of black humor in places. And it's a typical film that you would get, you know, you'd expect nowadays, you're looking back on classic films of the 80s, the 90s, you know, all the ones of the 20th century, you'd expect this one to be very uh, attractive to a cult audience. So in a sense that, you know, for those of you who 
might be listening to this for the first time, not really sure what a cult audience is. So, for instance, cult audiences take an interest in a film that isn't particularly uh, well received by critics or many people in general, but a small minority who then slowly become big, like a minority of people who claim this film as their own, really, and make it their own little thing. So, for instance, a popular example of a cult classic is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's a film that is not critically well received at the time of its release. And then as the years go by through midnight showings and other such venues, uh, it gathers a following of dedicated fans who aren't necessarily film critics or film studies experts like people we have these days we have people who write books on these kind of things uh, and they're not particularly you know academic in that respect they just love the film because they're obsessed with it and they're fanatic about it they're actual fans and rocky horror is the epitome of a cult classic uh, and i use the phrase cult classic for a lot of films that i deem unpopular by some but i love <laughs> and i assume i would love there to be a confirmation for several films that i love as a cult classic but i think heathers has earned that title quite well now to explain what heathers is about like i said because it's on this episode it's about teenagers it's in high school in america quite a rural area just run-of-the-mill suburbia in a way really kind of akin the way it's all filmed and shot it's very much akin to the way uh, tim burton sort of sets his suburbia towns up so like the likes of peewee's big adventure the stylized uh, way of things in his hometown uh peewee's big adventure with tim burton uh the, that film and also in tim burton's edward scissorhands the way everyone's so perfectly squeaky clean and so when edward scissorhands comes into the area it looks very odd because everyone's so perfect and shiny but he's not now, in the in the case of Heathers, Heathers is super stylized in terms of its cinematography. So we talked about that before. Uh, cinematography, uh, so the way it looks, how it's made to look through color, lighting, costume, makeup, even everything. Uh, it's got a very interesting look to it. It's uh, especially now that because it's had a 4K restoration in the past couple of years, I own a Arrow, special Arrow Blu-ray release of it uh, and it has been remastered and scanned at 4K and it honestly, the colours and the lights really and you know, the way the light hits the skin tones of several characters in this film, it really pops off of the screen. And Heather's, you know, so essentially we, to tell you a bit more about it, we are following the story of a character called Veronica, uh, who obviously she falls in love with a boy called JD, uh, played by Christian Slater. So Veronica is played by the lovely Winona Ryder, who, for those of you Stranger Things fans out there, you will know her for that. Uh, and she's, you know, this is one of her, I would say one of her best and most popular film roles uh, ever. Obviously, she's done a few things with Tim Burton. She's done Stranger Things. Uh, she was in Edwards' Hands, as I mentioned. Edwards' Hands, a bit ironic. Uh, but she was in that, and she was in Stranger Things playing Joyce, uh, the mother of Will Byers, in that Netflix original series. And lots of people will know her for that if this day and age, this audience uh, sort of collective. But for people back in the 80s, uh, growing up in the 80s and living with films in the cult classic genre, as it were, and particularly teen films, Winona Ryder 
is a name to remember. And so she plays a character called Veronica who falls in love with this bad boy outsider played by Christian Slater. He's no, he's known as JD. Uh, and the character JD is actually, he's actually an homage to, as I've read through several notes on this, and you can quite clearly tell this as well. He, the character of JD is an homage to James Dean and also JD Salinger. So JD Salinger, that's a reference to Catcher in the Rye. Uh, for those of you book fans out there, uh, if you want to read up on that, by all means, check it out. It's very interesting to look at. Um, but essentially, JD is this outsider. He doesn't. So Heather's shows you introduces you to a very you know stereotypical american high school setup you have the jocks so the sport sporty people for us british people who don't know what that means <laughs> uh we have the jocks uh, the geeky people the nerds uh we have the drama people we have the academics and all the um super smart people like that and also the really clicky the different clicks of popular girls and popular boys uh, you know they're all in their separate little zones like stereotypical high school uh, dramas in america are told to be and the uh, heathers presents this it's quite you know introduces you to it throughout the beginning of it it's a great sort of setup throughout uh, and obviously winona Ryder's kind of she's part of one group but as we learn she doesn't she's not really she's trying throughout the film i think jd uh, Christian Slater helps her find her inner outsider in a way, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, if you haven't seen this film, I'm going to try and be l as least spoilery as possible here, uh, but I will go through a few details. So I'd recommend that you watch it. But for now, I will say um, not too much on the details. But basically, we, the beginning of the film, we get introduced to Winona Ryder and this group of girls, this trio of girls called Heathers. They're all called Heather. Uh, they're all they're all their name is Heather. That's all they ever get known as. There's, it's a bit like if you guys have seen the TV series Screen Queens. Uh, it, there's an homage to Heather's in that, except they use the name Chanel. So uh, Chanel number one, Chanel number two. Uh, it's a bit like that for Heather, except Heather's is they've all got different last names and they are literally all called Heather throughout the film. And Winona Ryder, even though she's not called, she's not a Heather. She's a Veronica. Uh, quite clearly, uh, for out, <laughs> she makes that quite clear. But she's made out to be very, yeah, on her own, in her own bubble. But she's attached. She's also drawn in to this friendship group that is the Heathers, uh, and they're quite horrible, nasty girls. Really typical, you know, stereotypical high school uh, popular girls. And you know, the whole, the whole film really essentially is a is a stylized revenge black comedy at the end of the day as we see each of the heathers being picked off one by one and also all the uh, various other people uh, getting picked off one by one getting killed by uh, christian slater's character jd uh, and winona Ryder is dragged in to this entire mess throughout the whole of it and she's She's not really, she doesn't know what's going on at first. And then she slowly becomes part of it because they accidentally, well, I say accidentally, a uh, little slight spoiler, but one of the Heathers gets killed at her house. And then it just sort of rolls on. It's like an ongoing rolling thing of, will they be caught? What's going on? And they fake it to make it look like a suicide. And it's related to, there's a, I think there's a song or a TV appeal that they, that, that appears throughout the 
the film, which talks about the uh, the the young Sue. I think it's Virgin Suicides. I want to say uh, uh, what it's called, and the throughout the entire film. Yeah, they try and get away. They literally get away with murder. And I'm not going to tell you what happens at the end because you should watch the ending. It's quite, uh, it's quite an explosive ending for a small, ta- small time film in a way for what it was. Because I can't, I don't believe if I remember my research reminds me correctly, it wasn't made on a massive budget. So you know, it's quite a spectacular ending, even though it's not massive. Like it's not James Bond Avengers massive, but you know. It's quite a thing to behold. So Heather's is you know very dark. You've got this weird, sick, psychotic relationship between the two main characters, and you know all these people. The assumptions that suicides are being uh, made to happen all of a sudden because of some sort of campaign on television. Um, really, it's just Christian Slater getting his own back on all of the rest of the school because he's an outsider and he just thinks they're all idiots <laughs> he doesn't like them uh but like i said it's hi- really stylized for a quite a dark film tonally it's got lots of color in it especially i i think particularly the 1995 film clueless uh, that the way the way they dress in that particularly uh the sort of checked design it it's very the our main character dresses like that in Heathers, there's the three Heathers. They dress in it's yellow, blue, and and red. They all dress in in the same checked kind of design. And that design has been emulated into later team films. Uh, I won't talk about Clueless too much, but that's another option for you as well. 1995 Clueless. But yeah, Heathers 1988, starring Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. Uh, and Christian Slater is not a vampire in this one, but it's it's a great it's a great film to watch and you know it's not just a girly film because they've made a musical of it but i highly recommend it from the bottom of my heart um it's funny i mentioned james dean actually because the fact that uh christian slater's character is an homage to james dean in part because rebel without a cause is my next pick for you i'm going all the way back to 1955 and james dean plays a character called jim stark now this film it's a very unique it's a very unique film of its time and it really because the 50s and the 60s were the era of the teenager especially the 50s where the teenager became a word so in history teenager as a word didn't exist until around the 50s I, i'm not an expert on it exactly 100 percent, but i know for a fact that it wasn't until around then and when rock and roll was a like elvis presley and the likes of those guys chuck berry all those legendary rock and roll gods they brought this young vibe to everyone uh in the culture of the time especially in america america it was a big thing at uh, the teenager and obviously they used that as a big marketing ploy in loads of hollywood movies and orientating the films towards this new target audience which now like we say we're talking about teen films and coming of age films this was the primal probably i would say the original teen film uh, and it's not even like, it's not like finding, there's a bit of romance in there uh, for James Dean's Jim Stark. But a lot of the tropes that are found in this film end up being splintered into further films. So for instance, Rebel Without a Cause. So it's a 1955 film. It's based in Los Angeles. Uh, it also stars Natalie Wood, uh, who plays a character called Judy, who's like the central love interest, best friend of James Dean's character eventually. And it just follows the struggles of 
of young people, of these teenagers, so these high school kids. Uh, they must be about 17, 18, uh, and they're just struggling, you know, with their, their feelings, their emotions. And it shows you what they get up to in their spare time. These Los Angeles kids get up to in their spare time. And it's funny because I can't remember off the top of my head where Greece is actually meant to be set, if I remember. But Greece owes a lot to Rebel Without Cause because there's a, there's like a race there's a race set up between the like a game of chicken game of chicken so but with cars so in one scene in rebel without cause they so james dean and this cool guy i forget what his name is but this really cool guy uh, of this gang of people uh james dean's like new to town new to school and everything and he's you know he's just trying to get along but they end up having this race and they play a game of chicken so Again, in the film Footloose, which is another good one, which is 1980s, uh, another good one for young people and about a town that outlawed dance. There's a scene in Footloose where they play a game of chicken with two tractors that go straight into each other. They go in towards each other and the first person sort of duck out and go away, loses. And the winner is the one that doesn't move at all and just keeps going in a straight line. Similar principle in Rebel Without Cause, uh, except they do it in the sense that they're going off a cliff. They go, they're both going in the same direction and the first one to sort of, the person who chickens out the most so moves away from the cliff the earliest uh, before they even get so the person who stays on closer to the edge of the cliff is the winner and essentially not a chicken but that is the whole use of cars and little competitions and little races at remote locations that's been handed on like i just said it's in footloose it's also used in greece i mean greece is actually set in the 50s so it's more of an echo of rebel without cause and james dean than anything uh, with the whole race at thunder road in that remote area which i think I, it was probably shot in los angeles but i don't know where it's meant to be set but it's that area where uh, area where there's like water running and there's no one there it's completely disused and abandoned uh, the same sort of goes for anything in rebel without cause and that's the nice connection so this is the influence that a simple teen film of the 1950s really created so like i said james dean he's trying to prove himself and the whole film really it, it's all about generate a generational battle so we see the lives that we see the opinions of james dean's parents they think everything's perfect they don't know anything james dean's character jim stark doesn't say anything jim's completely oblivious to like well not oblivious but he doesn't really say how he feels much to his parents and eventually obviously it all leads and builds and builds up to the, that massive breakdown scene in the film where he goes you don't understand me uh, and that really expresses the idea of teen angst at its heart and the beginning of what would become a very successful drama the teenage film drama or the coming of age drama because james dean is coming of age he's discovering life isn't as easy as it was made out to be when you're a kid and you know even as a teenager you can face quite adult problems but in a teenage context so for instance the pressures of social the social pressures to fit in uh, general you know arguments about who's cooler and not you know really simple stereotypical really two-dimensional things but a lot of things become quite from two-dimensional they move to three-dimensional and it's just it, you know it's a beautiful film in terms of it it's set in los angeles it's shot really nicely uh, you know it's a classic film of its time uh, there's obviously attitudes that aren't the same as they would be today. I mean, I think a lot of teen films in the 21st century focus on a lot of the mental health side of things. Whereas I think 
I would say this one does explore that same mental health angle of the teenager and the young person and someone who's coming of age. But I would say it's a little bit more intense nowadays because people talk, we talk about it more. Whereas I think in Rebel Without a Cause, it's a 50s film back all the way in the 1950s, uh, quite a way away now, uh, almost almost um, 70 years, almost 70 years now. And the whole expression of teen angst and pain and you know that generational change between the parents and the young person how the parents don't understand what the young people go through these uh, at the time that still translates to this day even though you know they all wear <laughs> cool biker jackets they've all got really nice cool vintage cars you know to us anyway but now but the, it's a real true honest film and james dean does a brilliant job it's a brilliant performance he gives one of his final performances actually uh, and one of his best and most iconic that red jacket i own myself a red jacket uh emulating my own james dean anyone wants wanted to be james dean back in those days and i think people still do these days because he was just the epitome of cool uh but yeah like i said rebel without cause is definitely one to watch stars natalie wood if you recognize natalie wood as well uh she was in west side story uh several years later in 1961 uh, uh the musical uh, based on Romeo and Juliet, which again, that's a that's kind of coming of age kind of tale in a way, but obviously to music and a musical. So, but that's a story for another day. But like I said, Rebel Without a Cause, I think, is the quintessential teenage coming of age film, and it inspires pretty much any of the ones that came after it, even ones that are like genre based. So we have Grease and West Side Story, all the ones that have those elements to it of the period, but they create that emulation of angst and teenage pain and the difference between the generations so like i said give that a watch my third and final pick now for my top three films that i would recommend to you in this classics edition of forever young volume two is a is, is not a teen film but it's a coming of age story nonetheless uh, it's a film directed by rob reiner uh, it, from 1986 it's based on the Stephen King novella The Body uh, and majority of this is so in the film there's a bit of a time jump but again it's another story set in the 50s so you kind of get that the similar thing to like Rebel Without Cause but not quite not for teenagers but for slightly younger kids so for like kids who are like 12 13 and this is Stand By Me so 1986 Rob Reiner film I highlight this one because it's one of my favorites like favorite older coming of age films because it really is what I would call proper coming of age because although whilst I mentioned I'll, I'll say now it the two it films it and it chapter two uh, the recent adaptations of the Stephen King book with Pennywise the clown uh, and also the Tim Curry version of it the three-hour tv movie where Tim Curry plays at Pennywise the clown those because obviously both of these are used created through Stephen King source material they have a very similar feeling and although Stand By Me is a much shorter story than it ever will be there's a lot of similarities between the group of kids the losers club in it and the four kids that are in Stand By Me now obviously a lot of creative sort of licensing was taken with Stand By Me because it again it's not a long film by any means but it's a lot of stuff has been extended from the original novella because it's it's not super long uh, like any sort of short story like that but stand by me is a film so it opens up with uh, like present day so it would be the 80s then of a 
older man writing he's writing a story and we hear his voice and the actor who plays him actually is richard dreyfus who i shall get back to in just a moment uh about his significance in terms of the coming of age teenage dramas of this era uh, but he sits at his desk and he's writing a story and he, his voice begins to tell the story and we go back in time to night to 1950s and the story essentially is only about these four friends who have this little club. Again, if you guys like Stranger Things, this is where Stranger Things got some of its inspiration from. The group of boys who have a little club and they play games together. They have a tree house, a secret tree house where they hide out and they have secret meetings and they do all sorts of little things that they that you would do as a kid back in the 50s or even in the 80s because of Stranger Things is setting. But Stand By Me is, so four kids, we've got, uh, so they're all played by, so Chris Chambers, played by River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, uh, who plays Gordy, uh, and Corey Feldman, who, for those of you who know your 80s movies, you'll know Corey Feldman had a few good roles. I, I, he was in The Lost Boys. Uh, great, great talent, Corey Feldman, who, and all of these were child actors, I should stress here. So River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, Corey Feldman, and Jerry O'Connell all played the four main boys. So River Phoenix, like I said, is Chris Chambers. Uh, Corey Feldman plays Teddy. Jerry O'Connell is Vern. Uh, Will Wheaton's character of Gordy is the one that actually that Richard Dreyfus plays as well. So Richard Dreyfus plays the older Gordy as the writer and the narrator of the story at the beginning and the end of the film. Uh, but Will Wheaton, for the most part, is the one who portrays Gordy as his twelve-year-old self throughout the most the majority of the film. Uh, and these four boys, essentially, there's news about a missing child, and this body, you know, they, nobody's been found, and they take it upon themselves to go and find the body. Uh, obviously, it wouldn't be a standard film without any com a good film without any conflict. So we have the likes of a young teenage Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, playing a character called Ace Merrill, who, in my opinion, is so like he is very much the ilk of the the bad guys in it, the the gang of kids who bully uh, the kids in it, and you know you have to have a bit of conflict here and there, otherwise it would just be literally a film about kids going to find a dead body, uh, which sounds very creepy and dark, but that's essentially what it is. These kids find out that a child, a fellow child in their town, has gone missing. And they make it their job to go and find this child and kind of sort of in a way it starts off as a an adventure and some way to earn some sort of respect from adults and some sort of accolade in a way and i think at one point there's like oh we might get a reward for it but this film is it ends up becoming uh, not just an adventure but an adventure and an experience and a journey of self-discovery and that's the key to any really good teen film. Any good teen film will show some sense of self-discovery, whether it be about something that they didn't know about themselves at the beginning of the film, such as, I don't know, uh, an aspect of their sexuality they didn't realise that was there, and they've discovered it through a close friendship or a romantic relationship. Other things that can, in can be included self-discovery-wise that they really didn't have many friends and that they their true friendships they thought they had weren't actually there or the friends that they didn't think they had were always there and that's you know that's extrapolated a lot in the case of it and the losers club and especially with these four actors river phoenix and that is 
not ironic, but it's very it's very sad to say that I've mentioned James Dean, who died way too young. Uh, and the same is for River Phoenix, who this wasn't one of his last roles, but it's probably one of the roles that everyone remembers him for the most in terms of his child acting career. And when you watch Stand By Me and you read up on River Phoenix, you think, hmm, it's really sad because he was a very talented actor, especially at a young age. Uh, and that shows as he leads the group, the group of them, uh, you know, they run across train tracks, they go through the woods, they escape a ravaging dog <laughs> throughout the entire film, all these different mini misadventures. And they discover, they do find the body in the end, but they find it and it's not exactly what they planned. They planned it to be something much they expected it to be something else and there'd be some kind of release and oh my god yes we found the body this is amazing but they find it and when they find it because they're children they find this body just lying dead at the side of a river and they just think that's not what we expected it's actually quite grim and that's the element of self-discovery that they make about themselves they entered this journey as children going out on a little adventure just like like a game but along the way, they discover a lot about themselves in terms of who they are as people, who they want to be as they go forward into school and other and their careers and potentially their futures. And they also discovered that what was potentially a fun idea at the time, and it ends up being quite a dark path. But really, that's all I have to say. So Stand By Me, it's, it's a classic film and... You get lots of if people if you've watched the new versions of it or if you've watched the three hour television version of it, you will see the similarities very strongly because the obviously it's because of the source material, Stephen King, you're going to get those vibes from it. Uh, but overall, it's just a great fun adventure of self-discovery and the emotional connection between Gordy, who is like our narrator slash main focus, even though all four of the kids are our equally main focus and lots of them are quite similar to other characters within Stephen King's canon you know you sympathize with each and every one of them but especially the relationship that's shown on screen with Gordy and Chris so River Phoenix and Will Wheaton on screen it's a beautifully acted friendship on screen and to be honest I think they probably got they got on very well anyway but there's also, if for those of you who are into like behind the scenes pictures, there's a brilliant behind the scenes photo somewhere out there on the internet I've seen and in books as well with all four of the boys. So River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell uh, all sat on the camera rig. Uh, so I think Rob Reiner let, took a picture of them on the camera rig of, uh, of one of the setups on location. And it, it's just a lovely picture to look uh, to see because you think they're such close friends in the film, but it turns out they were pretty friendly and they got along very well off camera as well at the time anyway. So I, like I say, I can't recommend these anymore. Heather's if you want a bit of dark stylistic black comedy from the eighties, which in a way it's, it took a lot of inspiration from John Hughes films, which came not long before, a couple of years before, because a lot of it was in response to John Hughes films. Uh, but that extra darkness and strange attitudes towards everything. But Heather's, like I said, if you love Winona Ryder as an actress and Christian Slater as well, brilliant performances throughout for that. Rebel Without Cause, the original coming of age tale 
uh, from the 1950s uh, with James Dean in a pivotal, iconic role of his career. Again, can't recommend that enough. And Stand By Me, if you're into Stephen King or if you're just into coming of age anyway, watch that as well. It's not a horror film, but it's great. And I did mention I'd come back to some on. I'll say some, give you some honorable mentions now. I'd mentioned I'd come back to Richard Dreyfus and why he was important. So obviously he plays the older adult version of Gordy, uh, who's writing this story, who's a writer now, uh, post the events of Stand By Me in the 50s segments throughout the majority of the film. Richard Dreyfus is also known for lots and lots of different roles, comedy roles, uh, you know, lighthearted growing up roles. And one in particular was the 1973. So before this film even came out, Stand By Me, in 1973, American Graffiti, one of the first, the first films by a young George Lucas before he even did Star Wars, several years before he did Star Wars, and in collaboration with the production company set up by Francis Ford Coppola uh, and the likes of those guys, Martin Scorsese, American Zoetrope, that big group of people in the new Hollywood movement. American Graffiti is a tale, again, set in the 50s. A lot of films in the 20th century, I've noticed, do look at 1950s teenage angst and drama. After Rebel Without a Cause, everybody, even 70s, 80s, always been looking back at the 1950s, 1960s. I, I believe, I think it's the, the late 50s, early 60s for American Graffiti specifically. But it's, you know, you get, it's the end of school. Everyone's moving on to different career paths and colleges, uh, in a, in this American small town, and it's super stylized, full of rollerblade waitresses, uh, rollerblade disco places as well, uh, a last school dance as well. You know, it's very 50s. And again, that's before Greece. If you watch Greece, you'll see the similarities between Rebel Without Cause, which then influenced American Graffiti, which then both of them together influenced the 50s setting in Greece. So that's another one to watch. So American Graffiti and Greece. The other one I couldn't get away with doing this episode without mentioning, there's The Breakfast Club from 1985, which everybody who knows the Simple Minds song, Don't You Forget About Me, and the air punch in the air uh, by uh, one of our main characters at the end, yeah, before the credits, you know it, uh, about a group of misfit kids who all get put into detention at a school. It's a John Hughes classic. If you love your John Hughes stuff, you'll love that. Uh, another John Hughes one is The Year After as well. Pretty in Pink, 1986, same year as Stand By Me, uh, follows Molly Ringwald's uh, character uh, in that. Again, she's an actress who appears in quite a few John Hughes films, including 16 Candles as well. Those are really good ones as well. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is the other uh, teen film, coming-of-age kind of self-discovery film of the 20th century that I'd recommend as well. Again, 1986. It's like Stand By Me, Pretty in Pink, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 1986 was a big year for these young people films, uh, especially for, for Americans anyway. Uh, and obviously there's American Pie from the 90s. How well it's held up <laughs> is anyone's sort of like debate right there. It's, you know, it's of its time. It's not something that would be made today. Uh, but if you want to watch that 1999, the first one that starts off and continues on into the 21st century. And then also there's Days to Confused in 1993 as well. Uh, Richard Link later, and also if you want a bit of horror mixed in with some teenage angst and coming of age, there's Carrie as well, uh, based on again another Stephen King novel. <laughs> Stephen King did a lot of coming of age stuff, so there's lots of raw source material to sort of break that from. 
But that's all I'll say for now, guys, on this episode of Take 97, the Forever Young Volume 2 edition. So classic teen and coming-of-age films from the 20th century. I look forward to the next episode, and I shall see you around. Thank you very much, guys. Bye-bye.